We're going to dig into mega trends. Yes, mega trends are back. We are going to tackle some of the biggest mega trends reported by the CSIRO to impact us as citizens of Australia and, of course, as property investors. So it really is an important episode if you want to understand how to align your wealth with the trends that are coming our way. Today's show is perfect. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, another code cracker. We're going to dig into mega trends. Yes, mega trends are back. We are going to tackle some of the biggest mega trends reported by the CSIRO to impact us as citizens of Australia and, of course, as property investors. So it really is an important episode if you want to understand how to align your wealth with the trends that are coming our way. Today's show is perfect. Hey, if it's your first time tuning in, welcome aboard. And, of course, all you crazy urban property investors, welcome back I hope you are well. I am well. Rafi is here with me. He is looking at me a little bit, uh, I don't know, he's got anger in his little bull terrier face. I don't think he likes it when I do podcasts. Then again, he has just had remedial massage from my wife for about half an hour, so he's very relaxed. So me talking is obviously ruining Rafi's day. I don't want to ruin your day. I want to provide you as much information as I possibly can so you can make informed decisions. A big part of my journey these days is simply sharing information. Today, we're going to go through some of the real impacts coming our way. These are fundamental to the way we need to approach investing. Often, they are reported as desire lines, the idea that something is going to morph because more people are adopting the change, they become megatrends, megatrends shape society, megatrends as they shape society also will shape the industry of property investment. So there is some really interesting stuff, and uh, I have touched on a few of these points before, but I'm going to reiterate it because they do really link to what the CSIRO have put out. Now, the CSIRO is a pretty heavy governing body here in Australia of of scientists, so these people are not crackpots. Uh, They kind of know their stuff, and they've put out their latest Megatrends report, which basically have seven major megatrends. The first one is adapting to climate change, how to basically operate your property business inside of climate change, uh, how to get leaner, cleaner and greener to uh, meet net zero targets by 2050. Again, uh, very much linked to climate resilience. So we're going to talk about that. The escalating health imperative, which the world has at the moment, obviously, you're probably across that there's all sorts of challenges of people burning out, 
uh, a lot a rise of of loneliness, a rise of mental health, a rise of uh, challenges when it comes to daily health. It's been exacerbated because of the pandemic, and it is now a real mega trend. Geopolitical tensions, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to dive into the digital, which is the fifth uh, major mega trend, which is impacting the real estate economy. Uh, The rise of robots. Yes, we're going to talk about robots. I have a robot. I don't know if you have a robot. Uh, I love my robot. My robot uh, basically is a vacuum cleaner. You put it on, press a button, he knows where he's going all around the house. Rafi hates the robot. Uh, Can robots survive living with bull terriers? It's a big conversation. And of course, uh, the final one is really unlocking the idea of the ESG movement, which is really unlocking fairness. Is the world fair? Has the world ever been fair? I don't know, but uh, we are going to unlock what that is. So there's a lot to discuss. The ESG movement, migration, build to rent, affordability, fire economics, the wealth gap, and productivity and how it connects to the climate. I tell you what, uh, I think today's show is awesome. I love actually working on this kind of stuff because it really is a big puzzle to crack for all of us, whether we're property investors or not. But adapting to climate change and uh, fundamentally greener and leaner is two of the major mega trends. And of course, it is something which is real, right? We have seen this year alone copious amounts of flooding inside of Australia. Now, Baba Venga, the great Bulgarian uh, Nostradamus, who, uh, you know, lived a long time ago, predicted that there would be huge, huge floods occurring this year. And I tell you what, Bubba's done it again. So I don't know, should we listen to Bubba Vanga, the uh, Nostradamus from uh, uh, hundreds of years ago, or the CSIRO? I don't know who is right, but uh, we have seen more flooding on uh, in Australia this year than really it has broken all records. So when we think about the megatrends which are unfolding, that's of course climate uh, climate is a is a real problem. Um, it is going to impact the real estate community. Now there was some big news which recently made about two minutes worth of headlines on the television set. We're all busy. We probably didn't really pick up on this one. And I was saying this this had to happen uh, probably three, four months ago. I was quoted on saying, you know, who the hell would buy a property in Lismore today? You'd have to have rocks in your head. The place cannot survive climate uh, challenges moving ahead. Lo and behold, guess what happens? The federal government, the state government, they're now buying back $800 million worth of real estate in Lismore. It can't be lived in. Uh, Places around the northern rivers have been affected so badly and won't survive 
the next 10 years. They won't survive the next decade. So all of a sudden, what we're seeing is these mega trends are becoming very, very real. And of course, the lesson here for property investors is, is what next? How do we play in this space? Well, we live in a country which is full of bushfire and uh, climate challenges and floods. We need to be very, very resilient as to where we're going to buy our real estate. We need to be on top of this. Today, uh, when I look at real estate, one of the first things I'm researching is how elevated it is, where it is in relation to its flood mapping. A lot of real estate today, people buy and they still don't understand how it conforms to the climate. And it is a big, big, big conversation because these are real megatrends, adapting to climate change and operating in a fluid future of climate change is unprecedented. We've seen it. Like, this is huge. Like, I'm telling you, the fact that the government is buying back a township or part of a township because it could no longer function is massive. Now, we're all busy. We'll probably pay that one minute worth of attention. But I can assure you that is massive, massive news. And again, as a property investor, I want to make sure my assets are nowhere near this type of stuff. And again, for a lot of property investors, they're getting pushed further and further into stranger and stranger places because of their budgets. The stranger the place the more danger the place. And as such, I think we need to really, really understand that 20 years from now, there could be so many more Lismores and I can guarantee you that will derail your wealth acceleration if you're caught up in something like that where you're literally uh, don't know your next move. The stress on you would be horrendous. So adapting to climate change is big, but also we have the greener concept, which is the second megatrend. Everything has to be uh, leaner and greener and cleaner to reach net zero efficiency, the targets of net zero. And of course, as we know, the world is on target for net zero by 2050. That means, uh, of course, you as a property investor need to understand the game. And the game is, of course, raising the bar when it comes to real estate thermal efficiency. Real estate is a big producer of greenhouse gas because real estate uh, needs a lot of energy to run. And obviously, if a real estate is uh, is, you know, leaky, so to speak, if it's like running an old car, um, it's, it's just not keeping up with standards, which are really, really important uh, for the world, for the megatrends of the world. Now, here in Australia, we have a score for real estate. It is known as NATAS. It is a universal certificate that properties get particularly when they're new or newly renovated. And the score, if you like, basically today uh, shows how clean 
your real estate is. Remember, the mega trend is leaner, cleaner, and greener. So if you're buying new real estate, you're going to get a certificate with that real estate to show basically its energy rating. Now, real estate can be 10-star energy rated. The Australian government is now pushing for seven-star energy rated real estate. Um, It's very common to have in new construction anywhere between six and eight star. Some real estate, if you like, is headed because it's designed so well closer to 10 star. I'm currently about six months away from completing a building which will carry close to a nine star energy rated thermal efficiency score. Why is this important? Well, again, the Australian economy has to get to a net zero position. One of the best ways to do that is to make sure that inbound real estate into the supply chain actually conforms to climate resilience. It actually creates a cleaner, greener machine. One of the challenges for much older real estate is it costs so much money to actually change its thermal score And for the most part, a lot of older real estate won't actually score above uh, a three-star energy efficiency. So one of the rules I have and teach is rule 2003. Here in Australia, the thermal scoring system began in 2003. I think it's highly likely down the track that properties built before 2003, which carry no thermal scoring, that aren't actually helping the goal of net zero get in some way punished. I don't know where that punishment's going to come from, if it's the form of a carbon tax or it's the form of um, some sort of regulation to improve the asset. But Uh, I know that for me, I can see the writing on the wall here. The government ain't going to want to continue to buy back places like Lismore constantly. Um, And as such, I think when you're choosing an asset, unless it's uh, historically significant federation, uh, you know, some of these beautiful, beautiful uh, homes, that are available, which are almost um, would be exempt because of their 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 what they add to the culture of Australia. I'd be very very wary, for example, of grabbing a property which was built I don't know in 1995, um, which has no thermal efficiency and potentially will be subject to the transformation of a leaner and greener. Uh, future. And of course, uh, these are real trends. This is the CSIRO. I mean, Bubba Vanga was there, but this is the CSIRO talking about this stuff, right? And of course, I think sometimes here in Australia, you know, we're a bit laggardy. If you go to Europe, uh, all real estate comes with a thermal efficiency score. Inside of Canberra, real estate today comes with a thermal efficiency score. You can't sell real estate in Canberra without disclosing 
its thermal efficiency. And of course, the ACT is going to be the first place in Australia whereby in 2030 it is mandating that every car needs to be electric. I mean, this is big stuff. It's coming our way. So I'm just preparing for it. And, you know, when we look around the world at a global level, I mean, there are some amazing things happening. I mean, in Saudi Arabia, the megacity, the line is under construction. Uh, This is basically a 170-kilometre-long city built as a glass box. Um, And so here in Australia, you know, sometimes we're a little bit behind what is happening around the world where certainly countries with a lot of money are investing very much in greener, cleaner and leaner and leading the world when it comes to what that looks like. Do I think we can just sit around and hope that the uh, change isn't coming our way? I'm not investing that way. I'm investing in very thermally efficient real estate because I know this mega trend is coming Because if we look at how we're adapting to climate change, the only thing we can do is take taxpayers' money and buy back Lismore. And of course, uh, that is, you know, like that is your money. Someone's paying for that. You're paying for that. So at the end of the day, that is not where the world will end up. And so I think it's very, very important Maybe consider Rule 2003. Why 2003 is the rule in my version of the world is because that's when thermal scoring began in Australian real estate. I think the government has to honour that people who bought thermal efficient real estate from 2003 onwards deserve uh, the break into the future. So obviously, this is this is stuff where you're just betting against future policy. You're reading the future trend and you're saying, well, what can I do about that future trend? Obviously, uh, in the CSIRO report, the next trend was the escalating health imperative. Um, really, the world has health problems. Uh, We're not only living longer, but the quality of life is diminishing for many people as they live longer. And of course, then there is the idea that wellness is not just about, uh, you know, not catching a cold. It's about being happy. It's about, uh, you know, people not living lonely. It's about making sure that you earn enough money to provide a basic level of happiness. And of course, the health challenges linked to the real estate world because people only become property investors to replace their income. And of course, to do that, you need a lot of money in your retirement. You need to follow, for example, rule 20, which is you've got to multiply what your current uh level of income is and that you're happy living off by at least 20. If you make $100,000 per annum now uh, and you're happy living off that amount of money, you're going to need at least $2 million worth of assets to produce $100,000 worth of revenue. You're going to have to 20x your world and get debt free along the way. Now, I have taught this for a long time. It is a Uh, model which I've talked about I've even presented at 
things like Sydney University on this as a guest lecturer at uh, at a class there, um, the urban behavioural economy that we want to live, work and play in the same place these days. And of course, that has unfolded. We want mobility, which is the idea that we want to be able to move around and have everything we want in 20 minutes. We want uh, to be close to knowledge activities because the jobs of tomorrow, very much trends coming our way. Robots, we're going to talk about that. But the final piece of the puzzle is this wellness part. And wellness is, you know, it is a thing that property investors need to define. And of course, when you look at certain places, they carry uh, certainly better health scoring than other places. If I was to look at Manly, New South Wales, it carries a five-star health scoring according to Domain. In other words, in the suburb, people like being healthy. The food available in the suburb is very, very healthy. If we go out to Yuguna, which is uh, a famous suburb in Sydney because the RSPCA is in Yuguna. If you ever want a rescue dog, go to Yuguna. But it only scores a one-star rating for its health and well-being. Uh, it's not a very walkable place. Its community is a bit disconnected. It's not close enough to hospitals. Um, so it scores very, very low. If we go to Rudy Hill, which is another suburb here in Sydney, it scores half a star from a health uh, perspective. It's not a very walkable place. It doesn't have enough tree covers. It's hospitals are a little bit disconnected. So today, wellness is a principle of buying real estate. And it's something which I've been teaching for a long time. The idea that we are nudged in a certain direction. I've spoken about nudge theory, the idea that uh, if you're going to be exposed to things, you're going to be nudged to it. Now, certain suburbs inside of our cities or certain townships don't have a wellness nudge. You drive through the suburb, the first thing you're going to see is a McDonald's sign or a KFC sign or a Hungry Jack's or all three. And so the density of fast food in certain places uh, almost nudges people in the wrong, wrong direction when it comes to great health and well-being. So what happens is people will pay more for places which offer more wellness, walkability, green space, open space, tree cover, active transport, access to fresh foods. And of course, if you Google where quite often uh, food markets are and um, organic markets are, you'll be very, very surprised. Quite often, those suburbs are embracing the idea of macro wellness, nudge theory. They're nudging in the better direction than the suburb where everyone still goes to Hungry Jack's. It's just the idea or the principle of it. And of course, this has unfolded in Byron Bay. We all know the story. I've mentioned it a hundred times. 
you know, Byron Bay is one of the most expensive Australian real estate markets there is at the moment. It wasn't always that way. Why? Because it's been nudged as a place which offers great wellness, walkability, green space, open spaces, beaches, tree cover, active transport. You can live there. You can go for a bushwalk. You're going to feel good. You're going to feel zen. You're going to feel happiness. And of course, this is a mega trend that people want this. So as a property investor, it's pretty easy to put uh, two and two together. You buy um, what you can within your budget, which links to the idea of a wellness community. You know, uh, here in Australia, there's a lot to for people to to deal with, right? We have the 12th highest cost of living in the world. Sydney is the second most expensive city in the world. We are the fifth most obese people in the world. Our internet is the 50th uh, when it comes to its speed in the world. Uh, Brisbane is our most mobile or transport-orientated city, ranking only 48th in the world. The average commute time for people is getting longer and longer. Um, And, of course, Australians have to travel large amounts of distances quite often to get about because Australia is a massive continent. And, uh, of course, this all impacts how people live. Obviously, if you can avoid all of those problems, you're going to find economic wealth. And, I mean, one principle I love doing is buying in walkable suburbs because if transportation is a problem in Australia and you can live in a place and never have a problem with transportation, the odds are of that real estate going up in value is going to happen because of the actual problems which people face. So if you provide a solution to the problem, you make money in real estate. Real estate investment is just about buying problems. When you buy in a walkable suburb, you're buying the problem that Australia is not a very good transport place. Sydney is horrendous for transport. We have some trains that really you can't go from A to Z in Australia, you in Australian cities. You can go from A to B and then you might have to work out how to get from B to C. It's not like London. London, you can go from A to Z. You can literally go to just about every village in London, every suburb in London. You might have to zigzag using the underground tube, but it is possible. Here in Australia, it's not possible. So if that's the problem, you solve the problem by choosing an investment to counteract that uh, actual trend, which is a real trend. So we've been through adapting to climate change. We've been through the concept of leaner and greener. We understand that if we buy in an affordable yet highly livable place with our budget, we're going to make some money uh, because... People today value wellness. Health is an uh, uh, escalating problem when it comes to the world. So we know how to play the game. Obviously, geopolitical tensions is the next one. Uh, You know, here in Australia, you know, ads are already on TV to, for example, increase the defence force 
activity here in Australia. Uh, you know, they want to double the size of the amount of soldiers. You know, we are seeing all sorts of geopolitical tensions, cyber attacks. I mean, the idea of cyber attacks, you know, is no joke anymore. We are having companies being held hostage for the information that they have. So really, we are no longer in a place which is globalizing. We are deglobalizing. Uh, obviously, you've got, you know, uh, China at, uh, you know, at one extreme. Uh, you've got America at another extreme. The, the two have got, you know, trade wars happening. Uh, Australia, you know, biggest trading partner is China. Its biggest defense partner is America. You know, we're kind of caught quite often in that um, hoo-ha. Obviously, you've got Russia in a proxy war with NATO, which is effectively America, which is pretty crazy, right? Like that, you know, like we are living in this kind of period but these, are, these aren't going away. These are things now we've got to live with. We've got the OPEC oil cartel, which, you know, control the price of crude. Um, and then we've got BRICS, which is uh, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, and, uh, and South Africa, all joining together to fundamentally work out how to create new um, trading ways outside of just using the United States greenback currency. So there's so much happening when it comes to geopolitical tension around the world. And of course, this is why I think at a grassroots level, we need to just play it pretty safe, pretty conservative, go back to what has worked Buying in our, our good cities, our major places just makes so much sense to me because, again, you just don't want to own real estate in that one township which is reliant upon selling stuff, to example, for to China, and all of a sudden there is a massive tension and that commodity breaks down and, of course, that affects your real estate value. Obviously, the next mega trend is digital. You know, when it comes to the CSIRO, the idea of diving into digital is really uh, what it's all about. You're seeing teleworking, you're seeing telehealth. Uh, if I catch up with my doctor, I'm not going to the doctor anymore. I'm literally Zooming the doctor, I have a quick chat. Uh, we're shopping online. You know, I, I'm constantly buying stuff online. I'm sure you are. And of course, this is becoming more and more mainstream. With the rise of digital, though, you've also got, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, certainly within workplaces, people are becoming more lonely. You know, there are studies that show that people not only go to work for money, but they go to work to make friends, have comrades, so to speak. And of course, digital removes a lot of that. But today, digital is massive. I mean, um, Elon Musk just launched, uh, you know, his satellite that provides internet anywhere in Australia. You can be in the middle of the bush and use uh, Elon Musk's satellites now to pump internet. So you, really, you can work from anywhere, particularly if you are a knowledge worker. 
We have seen the great spatial transformation already occur for many of the millennials who were knowledge workers who have uh, gone to many places across the east coast of Australia. This has created a mega, mega region inside of Australia. Today, between Melbourne and Brisbane, 90% of the population live. Really, there is not too much of a differential between prices, whether you go from Geelong to Melbourne to, uh, you know, Coffs Harbour to Port Macquarie to Brisbane to, you know, Western Sydney. Fairly well, things cost what they cost. And what it has done, this particular mega trend of uh, transformation of work has almost made it now so unaffordable for many people to even internally migrate because once upon a time it was cheaper to move to Brisbane, now it's not. It's the same price. Once upon a time it was cheaper to move to Newcastle, now it's not. Now it's the same price. Once upon a time it was cheaper to move from Melbourne to Geelong and uh, Surf Coast, now it's not. It's the same price. So, Uh, really interesting now and particularly we are now going into an inflationary situation where a lot of companies are you know going to do it a lot tougher than ever before the idea of potentially reining in work from anywhere is a real thing but digital is transforming what it means to work that is for sure and of course this is creating mega companies uh even in the stock market in the usa you know 20 years ago there was eight thousand companies trading now there's about four thousand because more companies are becoming monopolies and of course the big uh, monopolies out there at the moment are things like apple amazon facebook uh these are huge companies, but they are also creating more efficiency for people. Now, my office is on my iPhone. I use Workplace by Facebook. Uh, There's 135 team members within the company I run uh, or companies I run, and our office is connected through Facebook. I can water cooler talk through Facebook. I'm socializing through Facebook. I'm in the cooking club. People are amazed at my peanut butter and kiwi toast. They can't believe it. They can't believe someone eats peanut butter and kiwi. If you've never had it, I implore you to try. But there is a concept now in business known as zero marginal costs. The idea that all of a sudden we can be quite flexible around the principle of um what things cost. So now I spend less money on rent. I used to have seven offices. Now I've got an office in Melbourne, Brisbane, and uh, a content studio on the Gold Coast. Um, That's it. Uh, I used to have like way more offices than that. What that did was for my business meant that my cost structure was a lot higher because I would have to pay for huge amounts of leases. Digital has removed the need to have so many leases. That frees up money in my business. That money goes to skill. Skill comes from people. Hence why 
the knowledge economy where people can provide smart intellect is going to see the mega trend in the future of smarter people who provide more output making more. Hence why I'm a big fan of investing in smart neighborhoods. Now, when you think about what actually the idea of digital can do, it transforms everything. Uh, my dad just rang me. I'm taking him on a cruise ship. We're going cruising. Uh, he's in his mid-80s. He's like, I just practice going to the cruise ship. I'm like, why did you practice going to the cruise ship? He's like, I didn't know how to get there. I wanted to practice. He's doing a practice run to go to the cruise ship. I'm like, no one would do that anymore because they would just use Google Maps and see where they're going. My dad has 2,000 records in a room the size of a one-bedroom apartment because he loves music. It's got vinyl records. Today, you wouldn't do that. You would just download Spotify. Zero marginal cost is the new model of business. And of course, this means that human beings need to be on their aim game. I always say this, you got to keep learning because we are all facing a certain level of redundancy if we don't upskill. You can see it in workplaces. Uh, certainly in workplaces I run, 50% of the team are like upskilled. They get it. They know how to dialogue in digital. 50% are laggards. They struggle with it. The 50% of people who don't kind of have to go back and constantly help the 50% of people that do. Uh, it's certainly a real thing inside of global economics. How does it apply to the real estate world? Well, there are five major disruptors hitting the real estate economy at once. DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain tech. This is like, these are massive. This is kind of going back to when electricity was created. Uh, it's like if I asked you back in 1870 when electricity was created, oh, yeah, hey, Bob, there's going to be electricity. Uh, it's going to mean you can turn the lights on. You would have thought I was crazy. You would be like, mate, that's never going to happen. We're going to be, uh, you know, harpooning whales forever. I don't see that taking off, Bob. Uh, it's a little bit like where we're at at the moment with these five major disruptors, which of course is the mega trend outlined by the CSIRO, automation, uh, robotics, energy storage, AI, DNA sequencing, blockchain tech, all game changers for the way the world is going to operate. My advice to anyone listening is keep learning as much as you can. You're constantly in school. You can't fall behind. Uh, and of course, knowledge is a disruptor. So again, if you go back to my urban behavioral economy model, uh, you've got wellness, but you've also got knowledge, which is the other key principle. And uh, again, I prefer to tackle buying real estate where the overall professional base in that society is stronger. The reason being, it's not because I'm a snob, it's because the disruptor is knowledge. It is coming our way. According to the CSIRO, we are very much midway through a digital transformation and an autonomous transformation. 
Uh, you know, we know this stuff is coming our way and the way I see it is just being a voyeur of people. Some people get it and some people don't. Uh, if I can mirror my investments where people get it, I'm going to mirror the mega trend coming our way. Certainly a mega trend uh, which is going to unfold. The final mega trend is the idea of fairness. Really, today, that transparency, fairness, political correctness, it's a real thing. Um, you know, it's a new world that we live in. And as such, it is kind of deemed to be called the ESG movement, environmental and social governance. Now, the environmental stuff's really, really critical. Obviously, I've touched on what that is, but the social governance stuff is the other part of the puzzle. Now, here in Australia, the social governance of what happens in Australia is always challenging when it comes to the cost of affordability of housing. The reason being is we want affordable properties, but we pump migration. We're very open to letting new migrants into the country here in Australia. So if you're going to collect you know, hundreds of thousands of people every year and put them in the system, you have to provide real estate. And of course, the cost of production of Australian real estate is not cheap because we have uh, minimum award standards of pay here in Australia, which is fine, but also the cost to deliver that product to the market, new construction, obviously is a a real cost. And of course, if people can't keep up with that cost, then uh, you get a two-tiered economy of haves and have-nots. Now, if we uh, you know, extrapolated the median house price in 2043 based on capital growth that has happened in the past and relay it into the future... Sydney's median house price in 2043 will be $6.4 million. Uh, no one's going to be able to afford that. Uh, Melbourne's median house price will be $5.8 million. So again, like something's got to give and uh, we're starting to, to understand what that give is. And of course, um, really Australian real estate is pegged to the cost to de deliver new real estate to the marketplace and it'll always be that way because we obviously run a migration policy here in Australia whereby more people want to move to the country than leave the country. So home ownership is something which is still the great Australian dream but it could also be argued the great Australian divider. We are going to see through the ESG movement, or particularly the social governance, that the world is being split in two. Those that can afford home ownership and those that can't, those that can't really, a housing solution needs to be provided for those people who will become renters for life. Now, this does obviously impact the Australian real estate marketplace. Supply or new stock is created to tackle affordability. 
However, what do you do when the problem of new supply is created to tackle affordability when new supply is not affordable? For 50 years, new supply has been created via an investor, you and me, uh, today known as a have. Why are we haves? Because we've got multiple properties. That's not normal for the rest of Australia. The rest of Australia are battling over two other principles, being a homeowner or just remaining a tenant. No right or wrong, it's just the way it is. Beyond that, there are homeowners who are also property investors, a very, very small percentage. But when we go back to the idea of social governments, everyone needs a roof over their head. We don't want to live in a society where you walk underneath a train track and there's uh, 150 homeless people because they can't afford to live, which happens in America today. It is real. Uh, the ESG movement, you know, the, the, this is like over there, it doesn't, you know, people are just left offended to themselves. I don't know if we want to live in a society like that. But to tackle the problem of lease security, which is the problem for tenants who never want to become homeowners, uh, they are reliant upon you and me providing invest uh, investment dwellings for them to live in. Now, of course, the challenge with that is you and I can only borrow so much amount of money. And uh, again, if more people aren't granted access to debt as an instrument, then you're never going to provide enough properties for the tenant marketplace. Now, I would take on more debt if I was allowed more debt. Uh, it's tough for many people who have reached their debt ceiling. I certainly feel like I can, can control debt. I'm a sophisticated investor. Perhaps one of the best ways to provide more housing to the Australian property market is particularly for sophisticated investors, let them loose because they know what they're doing. But APRA has guidelines, lending, lenders have guidelines. Today, individual mum and dads can't borrow a shit ton of money and own 20 different investment properties. Uh, it's just not going to happen. The reason being, of course, is the instrument of debt needs to be monitored. And of course, today to provide real estate to the marketplace, which is new, it costs a lot more than it did in the past. So uh, there's a few moves happening. Uh, we're already seeing 35-year home loans. They're on the way. I said this was going to happen. We're on our way to 40, 50-year home loans. Why? Because the only way for the production of real estate to occur is not to change the production of real estate and what that costs because you can't change that. You can only change the instrument of debt. So that's going to be a real thing, but also we are now entering uh, through the real estate economy, build to rent. Basically, most private rentals in the market are owned by mum and dad type investors. In that form, it's not an issue, but like anything that has an instrument of debt, this type of investor is subject to the changes of financial circumstances. So in other words, we can't actually produce enough property investors. That is the problem. Uh, the reason, higher house prices 
and uh, the ability for people to uh, not invest because of what they earn. So there are going to be less property investors. It's just a fact. If you can join the property investment fraternity, you should do it as soon as, soon as you can. But it's a fact. So to uh, keep up with social governments, putting roofs over people's head, supply or brand new supply is now split into two groups, build to sell and build to rent. This is real. This is happening now. So new construction that is underway, you drive through a city, you see a crane, you think, ah, a property investor must have bought that or an owner-occupier must have bought that. No, 50% of the cranes in the sky today are building real estate to rent out. These are being built by major companies to rent out. Who are the major companies? Uh, Well, you've got, groups like Mervac, you've got Blackstone. Blackstone is one of the biggest companies in the world. They're an American company that uses uh, private equity, real estate, uh, pension funds uh, to, to buy as much as they can. While we're worrying about uh, you know, maybe getting a low vowel of 20K or an interest rate going up at you know, going up by another quarter of a percent, these major companies are game-changing what the real estate economy is going to be like. So build to sell and build to rent is a real thing. So if you can imagine uh, supply coming into Australian real estate, uh, it's very interesting if you track build to rent, there has been no build to rent in the year 2021 all the way back to the year 1900. Now, in 2022, we are starting to see our first build-to-rent properties basically begin to settle. So really, we can only track build-to-rent going forward because there was none going back. And one interesting uh, graph I've got is that build-to-rent in 2023 is now a thing into 2024, but it never was in 2021. So... Obviously, what's going to have to unfold is we have the same amount of supply, but there's less real estate. There is a difference between property and real estate. Real estate is the actual actual title. It's the actual underlying asset. Property is just a dwelling. So big companies are retaining dwellings not to ever put on the sell market, but they're putting it on the rental market. The supply is still the same, just the ownership is different. In the past, we produced more property investors to provide the ownership structure to provide the lease tenure to the tenant. Today, that is not happening because there's not enough property investors. So if you take out property investors, you take out supply of rental properties. And of course, the production is not increasing. There's not an oversupply of build to rent. It's the same amount of supply. You're just changing who is providing the supply. And of course, this leads to the conversation that you need to become a property investor because the 
you're going through, we're all going through the diminishing ability to actually activate yourself as a property investor. And eventually, property investors will be replaced. Why? Because of the instrument of debt. Unless you can provide more debt, uh, ways to control debt to mum and dad, then eventually uh, property investors will be weeded out of the system. It's not to say property investors won't exist. The ones that get in will exist. But the future mega trend is to not rely on uh, property investor Sam Saggers to do the work, rely on Blackstone to do the work. And so again, for a lot of these companies, they've been offered discounts on land tax to buy and basically build build to rent real estate. There is now land tax exemptions, 50% off land tax to control this amount of real estate. So government is teamed up with private enterprise to provide an economic solution to the problem that today uh, lease security for tenants is an issue. They're scared. They don't know if if the landlord's going to put the rent up tomorrow and they'd have nowhere to go and live. Today, people are living in their car. There is a level of homelessness happening. Um, Today, there is just not enough real estate. Again, for you and me as property investors, it's great because we can put up our rents. Now, last week, I reconfirmed that I am missing out on uh, 250 plus 180, what's that, say, I don't know, 420 in rent per week because uh, I have not raised my rents quick enough, mainly due to the fact that legislation basically is slower than the market. So I have to do it every 12 months. But I'll be putting uh, two properties up and I'll be collecting, what, $420 more a week in rent. Great for me. Lease security for the person renting, not so good. They don't want to pay that amount of money. Um, And so, again, Australian real estate is morphing because of the mega trend ESG, environmental and social governance. It is just not practical for Australian investors to provide the only housing solution to the marketplace for the rental marketplace. Today, one in four properties in Uh, London are provided this way to the marketplace. They're not provided by uh, mum and dad investors. They're provided by corporate investors. Build to rent properties solve the problem of roof over people's heads when you've got an economy which encourages migration. It will reduce the amount of stock that is actually produced to sell meaning the opportunity of real estate and the cost of real estate that is put onto the sales market is less. There's going to be less stock produced that ever reaches the resale marketplace. And of course, as you and I know, when there's less stock produced that is put onto the resale marketplace, then there is less stock to buy for the marketplace. And of course, that sees a price push eventually unfold. What I think we will see is again the split, the have and have nots. It'll go in three sections. A have will own a roof over their head as a obviously a family property to live in. 
a have not will be a tenant and a double have will be someone who is still capable of investing and also uh, having a roof over their head. Make sure you jump into this stuff because uh, it is obviously real mega trends unfolding inside of our economy. Uh, I hope I've given you my best interpretation of what to do, action to take. You want to invest soon as you can. Uh, You're uh, obviously competing with a diminishing supply level of stock. So eventually that pushes through to price movement. We are living in a very climate changing economy. So just have a real good think about what that means for your investments. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.